Psalm 136. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 520. This is a psalm about God's steadfast love. As always, I'm going to begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider this text together. Let's pray now. Our Lord, we thank you so much for a beautiful Sunday morning. We thank you for the white snow, for the the beauty that it brings to the earth. We thank you for this special occasion, Lord, 20 years of gospel ministry is a thing to celebrate. We thank you for it, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to be faithful in the years to come. And we pray that you would help us now as we consider Psalm 136. Would you please give us understanding? Um, Use this text to cultivate our gratitude for all that you have done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, we are in Psalm 136. This psalm is often called the Great Hallel or the Great Praise Psalm. And we don't know who wrote it, but we do know that it's a psalm for joyous occasions. And so in Old Testament times, the refrain was sung at the dedication of Solomon's temple. And then it was sung again after Israel won a great victory over the Ammonites. And then it was sung yet again at the dedication of the new temple after Israel's exile. So used throughout biblical history to celebrate joyous occasions. And the central theme of this psalm is impossible to miss. It's repeated 26 times, one time in every verse. The theme is that God's steadfast love is everlasting. God's steadfast love is everlasting, or as it is stated in our text, His steadfast love endures forever. The word translated steadfast love here is the Hebrew word hesed. There is no exact English equivalent to this word, and so different translations offer us different renderings. Some use mercy, some kindness, love, loving kindness, faithful love, covenant love. There are a host of ways that this word gets translated, but at the core of it, the word describes God's unshakable commitment to his people. God knows his people, he chose them, he redeemed them, he called them to himself, and he holds firmly to them, and he will never, ever let his people go. He will love them forever and ever. That's what that word signifies. And this psalm is a celebration of God's everlasting love, and it's a call to us to live in gratitude to him for that love. We begin here in verses 1 through 3. Here the psalmist tells us that God's steadfast love is not even capable of wavering because it is grounded in his nature as God. Verse 1 tells us it's grounded in his goodness as God. Notice the verse, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. To say that God is love, excuse me, that God is good means that God is both the origin and the touchstone of all that is wholesome and virtuous and beneficial and beautiful in this world. 
And it also means that God delights to pour out his goodness upon his people. This is why the the reformer John Calvin was so fond of saying that God is a fountain of goodness. See, God is filled with goodness in himself, and he cannot help himself. He must pour it out on his people, just the way that a fountain cannot help but pour out its water. That's what God is like. He's a good God, and because he is good, he loves his people with an everlasting love. Then we come to verses 2 and 3, and here we find that God's steadfast love to us isn't just rooted in goodness, but it's also rooted in His greatness as God. Look at verses 2 and 3. He is called the God of gods and the Lord of lords. These speak of God as the ultimate sovereign. He rises above all others. He has no true rivals. This speaks of His power as God. It means that he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnisapient. It means that he is eternal, immortal, immutable, absolutely sovereign. He is the great God. What that means for us is that when God makes a commitment, he has all the power he needs to see that commitment through. There is no one who can thwart his plans, and God himself will never waver in his own commitments. See, friends, God's greatness means that God is everlastingly young. He is an ancient being, but he's also everlastingly young. God is full of energy, and he always has been, and he always will be. God never grows tired. He never gets weak. He never gets forgetful. He never wavers in commitments that he has made. The excitement that he has in himself and for his people and for his plans never stops energizing him. He is a young God eternally and forever. And friends, for these reasons, his love for us is always absolute. My friend, God loves you as much today as he loved you the day that you were born, and he loves you as much now as he will love you into eternity future. It never changes. And God's love for his church is sure and stable and steadfast generation after generation. He's a God of steadfast love, and he has that love because he's a good God and because he is a great God. And now, friends, in verses 4 through 25, our psalmist shifts gears, shifts gears, and now he gives us a series of examples of the ways in which God has demonstrated his steadfast love to his people. In verses 4 through 9, the first example, he tells us we can see God's love in creation. In creation. Allow me to read the verses. It says, To him who alone does great wonders... His steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, his steadfast love endures forever. So friend, do you need convincing of God's steadfast love? Look no further than the creation all around you. Everything about God's creation testifies to his love for his people. 
First, verse 5 says, God made the heavens. That's a reference to all that is above our heads, visible and invisible, physical and spiritual. It all gets encompassed under the heavens. And God created it all. He spoke it. It came into being. And it is there for your good as well as his glory. And then verse 6, it says, God spread out the earth above the waters. This is a beautiful poetic description of the creation of land. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, the scriptures teach that when God first created the world, it was a water world. But then God began to act upon it. And one of God's early acts was to raise the continents above those primordial waters. And as the continents were raised, the water receded and dry land appeared. And it was a perfect habitat for animals and plants and for human beings, for us. And then verses 7 and 8 says, God also made the sun to rule over the day. Now, friends, the sun is the most beautiful object in the sky. And it is a wonder of creation. Astronomers tell us the sun is a great ball of hydrogen and helium burning continually through a process of nuclear fusion. Its diameter is 109 times greater than the diameter of the earth. Its mass is 333,000 times the mass of the earth, and God created it. And God created it perfect. It is just the right size, just the right temperature, just the right distance from the earth. It's at just the right angle from the earth. Everything about it is perfect for life on earth. And God did that for us. He made it just the way we needed it to be. And then verse 9 says, God also created the moon Now, the moon, of course, is tiny compared to the sun, but to the naked eye, the two look the same size. That's because their distances are so different. See, the sun is 93 million miles from the earth, while the moon is only 250,000 miles from the earth. And the sun gives off light, and the moon reflects its light to earth. Friends, for many animals, especially birds, the moon is essential for migration and navigation and propagation. The moon also controls the ebb and flow of the tide. It controls our planetary tilt toward the sun. It also helps us to mark time and seasons, and it ignites our imaginations every time we look at it. And God made it, and he made it for his people. And then the end of verse 9 says, God made the stars. Now, at the time that this psalm was written, the author could have perhaps seen about 10,000 stars in the night sky. And to him, they all would have appeared as just tiny points of light, but they were still a marvel to him. Now, today, of course, we have tools like the Hubble and Webb telescopes. We can peer deeply into the heavens. And how much more reason do we have to be in awe? According to astronomers, there are more than 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And according to them, there are at least 1 trillion galaxies in the known universe. Some astronomers going so far as to say there are 2 trillion galaxies in the known universe. It's an incomparable host of stars. 
And these stars aren't just tiny dots. These stars are massive burning balls of gas in space. Some of them dwarf our own sun. Some of these stars are larger than the Earth's orbit around the sun. And there are trillions upon trillions, quadrillions, quintillions of these stars. And God made them all. And how does all of this show God's steadfast love? Well, friends, when God created the universe, he made it all with us in mind. That's how it shows his love to us. God created our world to exactly meet our physical needs. He also created it in such a way that it would fill us with delight. Just think about all of the colors and the textures and the the sights and the, the sounds the, the aromas that fill our world. God made this world to bring us delight. And you know, every bit of this universe also gives us a glimpse into the glory of our Creator. We look at the massive universe. We'll never reach those other stars. We'll, we'll never tap the resources of this vast universe But that's okay, because it's there to show us the glory of God. We look at it, we see His beauty, His brilliance, His power, His goodness, and that causes us to stir with love for God. And that redounds to our spiritual good. The universe and all of its grandeur turns us into worshipers of God. So He made it for His glory. And part of His glory is when we see it and are moved by it and then turn in worship and obedience to Him because of it. Creation testifies to God's steadfast love for us. Now we move into verses 10 through 16. Here our psalmist gives us another example of God's love. Here he turns to God's supernatural interventions in human history, specifically on behalf of His people. So allow me to read these verses now. It says, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his steadfast love endures forever. Of course, these verses are talking about that amazing sequence of events which led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And I trust you know that story. See, the scriptures teach us that a famine in Israel caused the descendants of Abraham to migrate into Egypt. And for a time, their life in Egypt was really good. But then a new pharaoh came on the scene, and this pharaoh felt threatened by this growing Jewish population within his borders. And so this new pharaoh began to curtail the Jewish uh, people's liberties. And as time went on, and these, these acts of curtailing the Jewish people increased, eventually the Israelites were reduced to chattel slaves, and their lives were miserable in Egypt. But then they remembered the covenant which God had made with their forefather, Abraham. They remembered God's promises to Abraham. And on the basis of those promises, the Jewish people in Egypt, they cried out to God begging for his help. 
He said, God, please remember your covenant. Please come to our rescue. Get us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And friends, God heard those prayers and God answered them. God raised up a prophet called Moses to confront the Pharaoh face to face. And when Pharaoh refused to listen to Moses, God empowered Moses to unleash a series of judgments upon this pagan nation. One judgment worse than the next. Until Pharaoh finally relented. But then as the Jewish people were departing from Egypt, the Pharaoh changed his mind. He sent his armies after them. And now they were really in trouble because in front of them, there was the Red Sea, an impassable barrier. Behind them was an advancing army. They were no match for this army. Now what were they going to do? Well, then God empowered Moses to split the Red Sea wide open so that the Jewish people could walk through that water on dry land. And after the last of the Israelites had passed through, and while the army of Egypt was still right in the middle of the path, God closed it back over again, and that army was drowned. And this is how God rescued his people from their distress. My friends, the Egyptian rescue is one of history's greatest displays of God's steadfast love for his people. It shows us that God answers his people's prayers, that he rescues them from distress, that he gives them victory over their enemies, that he brings his full power to bear in this world for their good. Friends, the same God who rescued the Israelites back then is the God of the church today. He's the same one. Now, verses 17 to 22. Here we see God's steadfast love displayed not through supernatural interventions, but rather through his providential leadings of his people. Allow me to read these verses. It says, To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant, His steadfast love endures forever. Friends, these verses recount Israel's settlement into the promised land. And the psalmist focuses particularly on two decisive battles, the battle against Sihon and the battle against Og, both of which are recorded in Numbers chapter 21. And both of these battles represented fights for Israel's survival. If they had lost the battles, they would have ceased to exist as a nation. Winning the war was the only chance of continuing on. And it says that God gave the Israelites the victory in both battles. It's important to note here that God did not intervene supernaturally in either of these battles. Rather, God, through his kind providence, gave the Israelites the wisdom and the skill and the knowledge and the, the uh, geographic advantage in these, in these battles so that they would prevail in the war. So that the covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants would be fulfilled so that they would remain in the land, so that they would continue as a people. And again, my friends, the same God is at work today. Now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you you are one of his people. 
then God has done a supernatural work in your life. He has intervened in history supernaturally on your behalf. That's when you were born again. The scriptures teach that we are all dead in our transgressions and sins. And friends, dead people cannot bring themselves to life. That's a work of God. And it's a supernatural work. So if you're one of his people, God has acted in history on your life in a supernatural way. He made you a believer in him. But then he didn't stop there. God has been providentially leading you all your life long through all the ups and downs of life, through all of the times of prosperity and of hardship, through times of sickness and in health. God has always been there with you and he's right by your side. He's within you by his spirit. He surrounds you with his spirit. He leads you through his word. He's always there and he means your everlasting good. Scriptures say that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. And so, friends, whether we are looking at creation or we are looking at his supernatural works or we're looking at his providential works, we can see that we have a God of steadfast love, a God who has done nothing but good for all of us. Verses 23 through 25. These verses kind of form a summary of the entire psalm. They show us God's ongoing deliverance and help. The verses say, It is He who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes, who gives food to all flesh. His steadfast love endures forever. My friends, I hope the truths of those verses never grow old to you. That though we were all in a low estate, spiritually dead, without God, without hope in the world, yet God, in His grace, rose us up, gave us new life, and that He placed us into His church, and that He has led us, He's given us a new citizenship in the kingdom of God. He's given us a new hope. He took us from the lowest point. He's raised us to the greatest of all places. God has done this because of his steadfast love to us. God is good to all because of his love. Now, friends, in light of all of this, should we not be a grateful people? As you look outside today and you see the beauty of the snowflakes all around and you you feel that biting cold wind on your skin and you know that means you're alive because you feel it. When you see the the sun breaking through the clouds, should you not be thankful to God because all of it, all of it represents His goodness? Especially today, my friends, as we look at our individual lives and we think of God's supernatural work in redeeming us and calling us into His church, as we think of His providential leading in our individual lives and then collectively making a local church out of us, Friends, today is the 20th anniversary of Grace Baptist Church. God has been good to this church. We have seen His steadfast love at work here. A few of you were were there for that first church service. Not many of you are left, but, but some are still here. You remember what it was like that day. The risk that you took in starting that church, wondering who's going to show up that first Sunday. Will this continue more than a few weeks? All of those questions running through your minds. But God was good to you. 
And he preserved that, ch- that little fledgling church, and he grew its numbers, and he used the church to reach new people with the gospel of Christ. And he gave this church a permanent home, its own building, 12 months after its founding. And he has prospered this church ever since. Friends, he did a supernatural work here. He has been doing one here every time he calls someone to salvation in this church. He's doing a good providential work here as he leads and guides his people. And he will continue to do so. My friends, I am convinced that our church is a long, long way off from reaching its peak. We have a long upward trajectory in our future. And God is going to do amazing things here because his steadfast love endures forever. And if we will be faithful to him, he will prosper this church. And so we close with verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful psalm, a psalm for a joyous occasion just like this one. Help us, Lord, to remember the manifold ways in which you have shown your love to us. Help us to to see them, to savor them, to to respond to them in worship and with thanksgiving. Lord, help us to be faithful to you and to your words. And Lord, we are trusting in your providential leading of this church. We are trusting that there are great things in store for this church. Lord, we cannot wait to see what you will do with us and through us in our third decade of ministry together. Would you be glorified in all of it? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.